Oh, I have such a good topic for you today. And I don't know why it's taken me so long to get around to recording this for you because it's something that comes up in my coaching and consulting all the time. So I am so excited to lay this out there. It's something like that not a lot of people are talking about. It's it's something that I believe is like a secret thing that you deal with as the spouse or partner of an addict or an alcoholic that actually prevents you from moving forward. It's a trap that gets laid by the addict or an alcoholic and we don't see it as a trap. So we get trapped in the trap and we wonder why we feel trapped. Today, I'm going to help you get unstuck. I'm going to shine a light on this phenomenon and we're going to break it down. If you're new here, just let me take a minute and say, welcome home. I am so glad you're here and that you found me. I'm Heidi Rain. I am an addiction professional and a codependency expert, and I work as a consultant to help you unravel the lies, sort through the nonsense that's in your family so that you can actually restore peace and sanity and happiness to your home. And I do that a variety of ways. You can check it all out over at HeidiRain.com. Now, I know my voice is a little sexier than usual, And by sexy, I mean strange. I, I don't think I have the, the best voice, but I am sick right now. And it's irrelevant because I'll tell you what, you deserve to hear this information, whether mommy feels good or not. All right. So this is something that I want to share with you. I've got to, I, I, I just, I absolutely have to bring you this information. Now, a while back, I did a video on, it was after Labor Day, after, and I could have put any holiday, right? But after Labor Day, when, and the, the video was titled, I think, when the addict or alcoholic expects everything to go back to normal and acts like nothing happened. And in that video, I talked about the different things that they do when they wake up in the morning, right? After a bender, after a bad night, after a, you know, an episode where they wake up and they're like, you know, they, they'll minimize it and say, you know, it really wasn't that bad. You're really blowing this out of proportion. Nobody else thinks it's as bad as you thought it was, or they blame you. Well, if you put, wouldn't have put me in that position, this wouldn't have happened. You know how I get when I'm around this and you took me to the party, you know? So they'll make you somehow responsible. All different things that they do, or just in general, uh, guilt you by saying, well, I already know that I did that. And so when you talk about it, it makes me feel 10 times worse. So you might as well just, you know, I want to drink right now because of what you're doing to me. So all the ways that you get manipulated by the addict and alcoholic, but there's this one even more insidious way that you get manipulated by the person you love and the person you're trying to help. And here it is. It is the apologetic alcoholic. This is the one that wakes up in the morning and they own it all. They own it all. You don't have to. You know, you, you, you're waking up in the morning. You know it was a shit show last night. You are waking up in the morning and you're like, oh God, what's coming? Are they going to even know? You might've videotaped it just for evidence, you know, like they're going to show them in the morning, the ass they made of themselves or how they yelled and yelled at the kids or whatever. And you've got the video at the ready and because you don't know how it's going to go down, but they wake up and they roll over and they go, oh my God, I am mortified. I am so sorry. I can't believe that I acted that way. I, I don't know what the I I am embarrassed. I am ashamed. Now, this could range from just accountability and making good sense, right? Like, oh my gosh, that to tears, 
to breakdowns I've seen in families where somebody will wake up in the morning after a night of whatever they've done and they're sobbing because they're so ashamed and they'll say things like that. I'm so ashamed and even say things like, I understand if you want to leave me today, if you want to pack up the kids, I get, I understand if you want a divorce and they're weeping at their behavior. Now on the surface, this might not seem like a problem, right? You're like, yeah, good. You know, that's the feeling we get when that happens. We're like, oh, thank God. At least, you know, the damage you've done, right? Because there's a story we tell ourselves that what bothers us the most about the addict or alcoholic is the denial they're in about how they're impacting everybody and the lies that root up from that denial. So we are like, oh, you know, it's not that you're an alcoholic. It's that you don't realize you're hurting me. Or it's not that you're an alcoholic, it's that you don't, you're lying about it, you know, but, but the truth is the alcoholism is what's hurting the family, not the cover up. Okay. It's the behavior, not the dance everybody does around it. I mean, although that's hurting everybody too, but the root is this drinking. So let me tell you a couple of different ways that we then fall for this and we get sucked down a rabbit hole of compassion that turns toxic. It turns into toxic compassion. So you're you're waking up in the morning and you're like ready to do some confronting. You've got your notes, you've got your iPad, you've got your notes in your phone of what happened last night. You've got a play by play, a step by step. You've got the drinks measured out. You lined up the bottles. You you have everything. You know, I, I used to do that when my dad would come downstairs from a night of really bad drinking. I used to line up the beer cans at the bottom of the steps like a beer tower, and he'd have to like jump over them to, just to be like, hey, hey, good morning, dad. Do you recognize how much alcohol you drank last night? Well, here it is. You know, I take him out of the trash. And I mean, I just was desperate to get him to know. So I know that feeling of you waking up thinking, man, I'm going to get them today because they're going to realize how bad it was. But they beat you to the punch and they own it all. They own it all. And you go, oh, thank God. They feel sorry. They recognize the pain. And for the moment, what happens? Whenever that holy moment comes and they go, yes, I've realized, oh my God. Or they say, you want to divorce me and they're crying and they're, they're, they're beside themselves. What happens in that moment? Well, in that moment, you've got the thing that you wanted most, which is your drug of choice, which is the apology, because you become addicted to the apology, not the change. Okay. You become addicted to the I'm sorry's instead of let's stop doing this. All right. So they, they wake up and they say, you know, I'm so sorry. And you get your drug of choice. So your whole brain gets flooded with your neurotransmitters of well-being. Your dopamine starts flying around. You know, you start to feel happy and, and it clouds your judgment. And then you get lost in the I'm sorry and the hope that that false apology restores. Now, why do I say false apology? Well, they damn said they're sorry, Heidi. They they knew what they did. They they told me the whole night. Like they watched the video from the night before and were crying when they watched the video. All right, my love, what happened next? Because a true apology is always followed by a change. When I'm truly sorry, I'll truly change. Okay, I will take the steps that I need to do. But if I'm not doing that, and if I'm waking up and I'm telling you I'm sorry every single morning and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the next night we're at Groundhog Day, we're doing the same thing over again. I just did that apology to get you off my back. I did that apology because I woke up as the addict and alcoholic and I went, oh shit, I did a bad thing last night. You remember bits and pieces, right? And I used to do this when I was a binge drinker, when I first met my husband. And I was kind of an episodic alcoholic or a periodic alcoholic, which is so many people that I help because they're like, well, I'm not really an alcoholic. I just go on these benders every once in a while. Well, same thing, different way you're doing it. Okay, same issue at the end of the day. 
But I would wake up after one of these nights with my now husband, then boyfriend. And if I could remember, sometimes I'd wake up and not remember and like wait for him to confront me about it or see how like he was going to act. You know, is he going to be like mad at me? Did I, did I screw up last night? And I would kind of brace myself for it. And sometimes I would manipulate and gaslight and be like, hey, uh, you know, I didn't really think it was that bad or give an excuse or a justification or a rationalization. Oh, well, I mixed an Ativan with that and that wouldn't have happened. You know, find a way to like, or I had a recollection of how bad of a shit show it was. And I woke up and I say, I'm, I'm an asshole. You know, it looks like this. I'm a piece of shit. I am so sorry that I'm putting you through this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know how to stop. And what happens to my then boyfriend, now husband, when I start talking this way, who loves me? Just like you love your person, right? He goes, oh, honey, it's okay. I know you're sorry. It's okay. We're going to get through this, right? We're going to find a way to read. And then he asks the number one question that you might be asking. And I'm going to do a separate video on this because this is so crucial. Then he asks, or could ask a separate question that is like to an alcoholic, a kid in a candy store. And this question is, what happened? What do you think's going on? Because as a partner or a spouse of an alcoholic, you know, there has to be a reason they are acting this crazy because it doesn't make any damn sense. And what you attach it to is a trauma they're dealing with, a death they experienced, something bad happening in their life. So in the moment of the apology in the morning, when they go, I'm so sorry, I'm such a piece of shit, I'm so sorry. And you go, yeah, what happened? What happened? Then they go, kid in a candy store, down the rabbit hole of like, yeah, I started thinking about, it was my anniversary of the death of my cousin. And, and then I started thinking about how you know upset I was about all these things. And I, I had the best intentions, but then I saw the alcohol and I just, I couldn't stop. And then I started thinking about my, my relation, my mom and my dad and all that, how I'm disappointing you. And then I just, you know, I felt like such a piece of shit. So I just went for it. And now where are we? We are in excuse town land of reasons. Okay. Uh, and they all kind of make sense. So at that point, you're like, what are you doing? You go from being boundaried, like this is a problem for me. This is not okay to therapist and compassion and caretaker. Okay. You step out of boundary land, like queen of your castle. Okay. Queen of your kingdom. Like, Hey, this shit can't go down in my kingdom anymore. My queendom anymore. And then they they go, oh my God. And then you, you go, therapist, I know it's so bad. Do you want to talk about that? And they're a kid in the candy store. They're lit up. Why? Because the, the heat's off them to change. The heat's off them to take action. The heat's off them to go to treatment. The heat's off them to intervene. The heat's off them to go to a meeting. And we can just lay in the trauma. We can just swim in the trauma. Now I know you might be thinking at this point, Heidi, wow, you're going a little far, aren't you? Because it is, that is real. That is trauma. I'm, are you missing some compassion here? Like, you know, and I understand why you're feeling that way because we've been conditioned to believe that trauma creates addiction. So you're always looking for the hidden secret that happened in childhood with your loved one to make sense of all this crazy shit. I know you're doing that. Let me help you, okay? To understand when we have a blanket statement out there, like trauma creates addiction, you as a spouse of that partner are going to be constantly searching for the thing, the bad thing that happened to them. And you'll put, place the blame and you'll find the thing or, or whatever it is. And then you'll say, you've got to work through that trauma. You've just got to work through that trauma. You want to talk about it? Because you believe that it, the cure is to like work through that. 
that's not the cure for addiction. The cure for addiction isn't going and talking about my trauma and then drinking alcohol. The cure for addiction is, first of all, a massive intervention because alcohol is the main thing right now that we need to cease so we can even get into that trauma. So we can even, so it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, you know? So when somebody's saying to you, I'm drinking because of my trauma, I want you to remember this. Oprah Winfrey is one of the most traumatized people on the planet, lover or hater, but she could have been one of two ways. Trauma doesn't create addiction. Coping mechanisms to trauma create addiction. And Oprah's coping mechanism to her trauma was success. It was to succeed. It was to climb ladders. It was to help other people. It was to prove herself, I'm sure. Right? It was like trauma drive, I'm sure. But it wasn't, she didn't go the other path. So lots of people have trauma. Look at you, you have trauma. Look, look people in your lives, we all have trauma, big and little. It's not the trauma exclusively that creates addiction. You don't get traumatized and wake up an alcoholic. You get you become an alcoholic because you drink and then you bypass your common sense, even though it's creating consequences and you continue to drink and then you're confronted and then you keep bypassing your comment, your, your brain saying, nope, I'm going to keep doing it. And you train yourself into addiction over time because the coping mechanism becomes the habit and then the habit becomes the issue. And until I resolve that habit, break that habit, I can't get underneath the hood and look at anything else. So when somebody says to you, oh, I know I was so triggered last night because it was my cousin's anniversary of the death and all this, and they sell you these things, here's the compassion. Are you ready for it? I know that's really hard. And I know that you're drinking because your coping mechanism to life and life's challenges is alcohol. And that's what we need to work on. That's what you need to work on. Not even we, that's a little Cody, right? That's a little codependent. We need to work on this thing. You know, it's still in my DNA. <laughs> I know what I mean? I have to catch myself. So we're going to say, hey, you're drinking because you're an untreated alcoholic, not because your cousin died, right? It, it's hard for you to understand that. But what happens is when the apology comes, now I had a, I, sometimes I do these strategic marital interventions where I work with a, a spouse first and she'll tell me what's going on in the marriage and where she's at her wits end. And then we'll get on a call and we will have a strategic intervention while I will help her say the boundaries and confront the person about their drinking and set up, you know, get an idea of how they think they're doing, where they're at on the spectrum of their substance use disorder, you know, this whole thing, and then lay down the law of like the boundary. And in one session I was in about two weeks ago, I'm trying to make some headway. I'm like, look, here's what we need to do. Here's where we're at. I start to get into the use. And I know now, listen, by now, hopefully you've got some earmuffs on, the kids aren't around. I, this person was, um, it was obvious to me there was more substance use than he was admitting. And the, the purpose of that is because the spouse needs to know that for everything you think is going on, there's a hundred times, a hundred times worse. There's way more stuff going on than you actually think is going on. So I shed some light on that. And I'd be like, okay, so tell me about the cocaine use. Cause I just knew, I just knew it was there. I could just, I just knew it. And he was like, Oh, I'm such a bad person. I know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, I'm not interested in your judgment about yourself. I'm interested in the reality of your predicament you're in. I want to assess the severity. I don't want, you're not going, when you go in for cancer treatment and they say, wow, you've got stage four bone cancer. I know I'm an asshole. No, you're like stage four. Tell me how bad is it? Where is it at? That's all we're doing. Is it stage one or stage four? Where are we at? So we can get a proper treatment plan, not assessing on the scale of morality what a jerk you are. That's not what we're doing here. Okay. Addiction doesn't care if you're a nice person or a mean person or a jerk or guilt. Like I'm not interested in all that. All right. When you get into recovery, you can work with your shame, but right now that's not even real because every time he would say in the session, 
I know I'm such a jerk. Cause I say, well, tell me about the pornography addiction. You know, tell me about that. Oh my God. I know I'm such a bad person. I'm not interested in you making a moral judgment on yourself. I'm assessing the severity of your mental disorder, your addiction. Okay. So, you know, now I know that you, maybe you're even listening to me and you're like, oh my God, wow, this is, you really, wow, this is hard. But here's the, here's the root of this. They know they're manipulating you whenever they go into the song and dance. Even though if they believe a little bit of it, they know they're manipulating you because they don't want to tell you about the pornography. They don't want to tell you, they want to tell the professional about how bad the addiction is. So they do what's called like this red herring where they deflect it. And they start talking about how sorry they are and how what a sad person they are versus the truth and the reality and shining the light on what's really going on. And I'm not interested in that dance of distraction because that's what it is. The apology in the morning, the tears, the crying is a dance of distraction. Now, I did it. I did it to my then boyfriend, now husband. And there was one morning where I woke up and I got tired of doing that dance, okay? of I'm sorry, I feel like a piece of shit. I'm such a horrible person where I said to him, I've had my last drink. I'm done. That's it. I'm unwilling to wake up apologizing. I'm unwilling to keep continuing to put myself through this guilt and grief. And, you know, I, I, I something's got to give. And I said, I've had my last drink. And he just looked over at me and he said, let me know what you need. Let me know how I can support you. He didn't do anything else. He just said, Roger that. Like, yep, I agree. <laughs> you know, yep. So. If you if you're at a loss, you're thinking, uh, you know what? I can see how this apology has sucked me in, Heidi, because that's all I want you to do today is see it. I don't expect you to know how to have direct conversation with an addict or an alcoholic. It's like you're going into battle and you don't have any swords. Like you you need to have the tools to be able to get into this battle. If you're going to be in this battleground, you've got to know how to how to fight. All right. So that's where I come in. And I have a course over on my site that is uh, dealing with addiction in the family, addiction in the family recovery program. It teaches you, it equips you. That's that's how you fight this battle. You equip yourself with the right knowledge, the right information, the right strategies, the right tools. And you, and you see, it's easy to slice through the bullshit. It's easy to take your sword of truth and figure out what that is. But you have to first be educated on what tools you need and how to wield those tools in your relationship to fight for your family. And I want to help you do that. So HeidiRain.com, you can look at that program, or if you're interested at the time I'm filling this, you can go ahead and get a 90 minute strategic session where you and I will lay out the battle plan. We will put out, you will tell me everything about this relationship, all the dynamics. I will get out my little crystal ball and show you the future of this relationship and the paths you could take, because this is my gift in the world is to be able to see where this thing's going to end up and how to intervene if we can and get the best shot at intervening. So stop getting sucked in. Okay. When they wake up with the apology, have the compassion. Sure. My dad was one of the best at this. My dad was such a dramatic person that, and I just love my dad. He, he died an alcoholic. Okay. And there are many days where I, as a little kid, and this is where it hurts even worse, because as a partner, I know my then boyfriend, now husband was hurting because I'd hurt him the night before, but he was an adult. He was able to like shake it off, you know, like get back on track. But as a little girl, my dad would do something particularly hurtful. He would drive drunk with us in the car. He would scare the crap out of me. My dad used to like take us drunk shooting BB guns in the woods. I mean, I, you know, all kinds of things were like my fear and my anxiety was constant around, am I going to die today? Is this going to be okay? 
And then my dad would have like a come to Jesus moment. And he would get, I, I'm not kidding. My dad, for me, picture me as a child would get on his knees and weep at my feet as an alcoholic about how sorry he was. Now, no, many times when he did this weeping, he was under the influence, coming out of the influence or, you know, not just sober times, but all times. He would weep at my feet and tell me how sorry he was and how he he would hold onto my little knees and put his head down on my feet. I'm not kidding. This is the level of apology that I experienced as a young child. I'm so sorry. I know I'm hurting you. I know this isn't okay. I know I'm ruining our family. I know. And then he would say, you know, I just, I promise you, I'm just, I'm going to change. I know I'm sorry. This is terrible. And then what do you think as a little nine-year-old girl, after I get that apology, thinking, wow, dad's really sorry. Right. And then I go on about my day and then, then by five o'clock, he should face. I'm confused. I'm thinking, well, you must just not love me enough. And when we believe this, the apologies, and we don't see it for the addiction that it is, it is a psychological disorder. A schizophrenic could be sorry they're hearing voices, but they still have to medicate and get therapy and, and, and do the damn thing so that they can you know, get help. Same is true with an alcoholic. You can be sorry all you want. You can want it. I don't care if you tell me you want it. I don't want to do this. I want to do better. Hey, honey, you only really want what you're really willing to work for. That's the truth. I'm, I'm not interested in what you want to do. I'm only interested in what you're willing to work at and for and demonstrate that. And so the best thing that could have happened is an adult could have intervened and said, no, 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 honey, come on. We're not doing this apology thing. What we're doing is we're going to make a game plan as a family to keep everybody safe and make sure we know, you know, the, the, the best thing you could do to, uh, you know, rectify this situation is to get yourself into treatment and stay on the road to recovery. Come on, sweetheart. And that's what you need to do too. The apology starts. You don't get sucked in. You get up, you walk. Okay. I love you. I know this is a lot. You might want to go back and listen to this again and just like let it marinate and simmer a little bit in your heart. Um, I have endless amounts of compassion for people that are in addiction and codependency on both sides, the alcoholic and the person. And the things I'm telling you aren't because I want you to be like a tough love and take like a tough stance and go, I don't care if you're sorry. I don't want you to do that. I want you to come from this loving place and go, I know you're sorry. And that's not, that's not the care. Okay. Feeling sorry, feeling shameful, feeling regret isn't the cure for addiction. The cure for addiction is treatment, not shame. Okay. So I don't care that you feel bad about it. I care what you're going to do about it. And so should you, if you want to restore your family. I love you. This has been a really good tech. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I really appreciate you being here. And I just know that when you're here, you know me by now and I know you by now that you can take it. You come here because you like that straight talk. You're listening to this. You're like, girl, yes, I believe it. But again, you listen to this and then I know what happens. It's it's Saturday, right? You're going to listen to this on a Saturday. It's Saturday night. Things going to pop off today. All right. And then you're right back. And then Sunday morning, mark my words, you're going to be right back where you are. So guess what I would do if I were you? I'd schedule for Monday. I would go ahead and schedule something for the very next day so that you can start to get to work in your family. I love you. Go to HeidiRain.com to learn more or to schedule. And I'll see you really soon. Take excellent care of yourself. Be well, be safe and love yourself. Love yourself first. You got to take a stand. And the stand is that you're unwilling to subject yourself and your family to this madness anymore. See you soon.